All right. So a, a few weeks back, um, I sat in the middle of a dark theater downtown, and I cried my eyes out um, all the way through a movie. Um, it was a documentary, um, and I uh, I cry a lot in movies. Do we have any other criers here? I cry. Uh, there's been literal commercials, 30-second commercials that have had me in tears that I've seen before. I rank them this way now. I'll go from, from five up to what the one I'm about to talk about. I think number five for me would be up. Um, I watched that on an airplane. That was really embarrassing to cry in front of all those people. Um, uh, I can't remember. I'm thinking through there. There's, um, there's a movie called Lion. I don't know if you've seen before. That's about um, this kid in India who's an orphan. A true story. I cried a lot. Um, anyway, number two is Coco now. Used to be number one. Coco, I cried. I watched three days in a row and cried every single time. But now this movie right here, this documentary, has now become number one on the list of most I've ever cried in a movie. And that movie is this, Won't You Be My Neighbor, the documentary about Mr. Rogers. I sit there, and the theater was a smaller theater, and it was mostly full, but I knew, I knew something was coming. I knew the tears were going to come, so I kind of sit by myself so nobody could see it and had my hat pulled down real low, so it was kind of... Nobody could just hear me <laughs> the whole time because it was just a phenomenal movie. It's a documentary about the life of Mr. Rogers. If you get a chance, please go see this. This may be the most genuinely Christian movie I've ever seen. I mean, you can, you can have your God's Not Dead 4, you know, God Returns, whatever, all that kind of stuff. And take it, I don't, that's just ridiculous. This is a Christian movie. This is what Christianity looks like. It's phenomenal. A lot of people don't know that he was a Presbyterian minister. He went to seminary. He was um, uh, very called into the ministry and saw what he did on, on TV as an opportunity for ministry. He saw in the early 60s this medium of public television as a way to spread the good news of Jesus through loving kids, through showing kids what, who they could be and, and, and showing them that they are loved, that they are valued. And he did it through the idea of a neighborhood. Um, th- th- these kids could, could understand they are a part of a bigger picture. They're part of a di- diverse group of neighbors all around them. And he talked about some heavy topics. He talked about war during the Vietnam War. He talked about um, um, divorce. Uh, he talked about race. He made some pretty like amazing statements, even in the early, late 60s and early 70s, on social issues just speaking to children. And I was thinking about the idea of loving my neighbor, and I, I think the first time I actually heard the word neighbor was not at church. It was from Mr. Rogers, sitting in my grandparents' bedroom with the little bitty tiny TV that big when I was supposed to be having nap time and hearing, won't you be my neighbor? That was the first time I ever heard that, the first time I understood what a neighborhood was. And so he's, to see him as in his slow intentionality with people, he was, he was so intentional in the way he listened, in the way he made eye contact, in the way he was, when he was with you, he was with you. He wasn't anywhere else, and you knew he was with you. And the critics who have watched this movie, I mean, it's, they, some of them have called it the, the best documentary of all time and said this is exactly the kind of movie we need in this moment. And this is about this very just docile, kind man who's a Presbyterian minister named Mr. Rogers. 
And, and I think it is the movie we need. And if you get a chance, go see it because we're in this cultural time, this massive cultural shift in the last decade where increasingly we've lost sight of who our neighbor is. We don't know who our literal neighbor or who our neighbor is in general. And, and we don't know that we're called to be present and to love them in the same way that Mr. Rogers was so present with people. We've been immersed in a world where we've been taught now by everything around us, we're supposed to hate our neighbor. We're supposed to hate them. If they're different from us, if they think different than us, we are supposed to hate them. And we have learned to draw the line very clearly to know where we are compared to other people and know where to draw those lines. So am I a Democrat? Am I a Republican? Am I a conservative? Am I liberal? Am I American? Am I a legal immigrant? Am I black? Am I white? Am I wealthy? Am I poor? You know those lines. You know where they are so you can know who's in and who's out. We've made that clear. Everything around you, you may not even know this, you are immersed in a culture that teaches you to know who you are in relation to who you hate, to who you're supposed to hate, who you're supposed to not be like. And so this is why we desperately need this, this love your neighborhood journey we're about to start as a community, because we need to know who our neighbor is and what it means to love our neighbor and therefore our neighborhoods. And so we ask this question in, in light of this wonderful story that Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 10. It's one of his most famous stories. It's one of his most controversial stories. It's a story known as the Good Samaritan. So if you have your Bible, open it up, open up your app, check on the screen, follow along with me as we look into this passage from Luke chapter 10 and let it be the foundation of not only today, but our whole series this, this, this next month. So it says in Luke 10, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it, he answered. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You answer correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So we learn in other parts of the Gospels that Jesus says that the greatest commandment is this, is to love God and to love our neighbor. Jesus says that all of the law and prophets, basically the whole Old Testament, the whole story of Scripture is summed up in this. Love God with all of who you are and love your neighbor like you love yourself. That's the central tenet of Christianity. That is Christianity. More than anything else, if you want to boil it down, it is Jesus informing us in his life how to love God fully and how to love our neighbor fully. That's not just part of Christianity. I would argue that is the heart of Christianity. But this expert in the law, he, he, he wants more than just an answer from Jesus. It says he's testing him. And so he wants to know where he stood, where he could draw the line, and which side of the line that Jesus was standing on. So he asked this is a very important question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And it's an important question because what it's really asking underneath is, is who am I required to love? And then by default, maybe the, the question underneath even that question is, who can I get away with not loving? Who can I get away with holding at arm's length? Who can I love, but, but, but then, then, then those people know I don't actually have to love him. That's what this expert in the law, which is ironic, obviously, that the expert in the Bible is asking, 
who can I get away with not loving? You ever know anybody like that? Don't answer that. That's going to be, that could be bad. And Jesus responded here with this story of the Good Samaritan, his, his powerful story that even people who are not Christians a lot of times have heard this story. So here's how he replies. It says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he, and he, went, when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, so just to give you some context for that day, we're, we're talking about a priest and a Levite. Those may be words that, that mean nothing to you. So let me explain what Jesus is actually talking about. These idea of Jericho and Jerusalem. Jericho was a town that was down a hill 18 miles from Jerusalem, which was the capital, the center of Jewish life. And Jericho was a very wealthy city. And most of the time, the folks that worked in the temple, the priests and the Levites, who were kind of like the, 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 the assistant priests, the, the folks who always help with the temple process, a lot of them lived in Jericho. So they'd have to make this journey on a regular basis up the road to Jerusalem and back down. And this downhill road, road is a very twisty and turny road. There's lots of rocks and crags and places to hide. And in Jesus's day, it was very well known that if you travel this road, you better you know, be carrying a club or something because you could get robbed. It was very common to get beat up along this way. And so it was probably not the first time this priest and this Levite maybe had seen someone. And so they're, they're walking down this way and see this person who is left for dead. And as a priest and a Levite, as two people who were responsible for all of the religious life in the Jewish world, they see someone that might be dead. And you know what? If he's dead by Jewish law... If they touch him, they're unclean. So they can't do their job for, for a long period of time. They have to go through a process of becoming clean again. They, they can't participate in the things that are happening in the temple. That means they can't do their job. That means they're, they're, there's, there's a, an interruption with their family. It, it just kind of throws off their whole religious life. If this person is dead, if I get anywhere near them and touch them, I am automatically unclean. So let me remind you, that these two men had two very good religious reasons to walk on the other side of the road and not show compassion. The law, after all, demands that they keep their distance. They, the law demands that they stay clean. The law, to them, is more important than showing compassion. And so the two most religious people in this day, the two most religious Walk on by as this man is left for dead. But then there's a guy that's referred to as a Samaritan. So let's keep reading here because this gets really interesting. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two denarii, which is like a whole day's worth of wages, and he gave them to the innkeeper and says, look after him. He said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This isn't just compassion of, oh, let me pat you on the back. This is literally a costly act of love where he interrupted his life to make sure that this man in the ditch not only was taken, but was well cared for well beyond what he could do on his own. That's massive. So centuries before Jesus told this story, this kingdom called Assyria came and he captured a a good portion of the Jewish people and they left behind sort of the poor and the outcasts. They took the folks that they thought were the the high class and the the good to do ones and they left the poor people, they left the outcasts behind. And and then they sent some of their folks to come and to live in the area with the outcasts and these people began to intermarry, they began to have their cultures mixed together and they became known as Samaritans. They had different understandings of who God was. They had different places where they worship. They thought they were worshiping the same God as the people in Jerusalem. In fact, they were very strongly in support of this idea. But the Jerusalem folks, the people of traditional Judaism, thought these folks were were not allowed to be anywhere near the temple because not only did they marry people they weren't supposed to marry, they weren't worshiping God the same way, they weren't worshiping even the same God the way he was supposed to. And so to the Jews in Jesus's day, the Samaritans were the enemy. They were unclean. They worshiped God wrong in the wrong place. They betrayed their heritage. This wasn't just a religious barrier. This was a social barrier. This was an ethnic barrier. This was hatred at its highest point. Samaritans were not allowed to enter the temple in Jerusalem where the law-abiding Jews were. The Samaritans, in fact, they returned the hate because in a lot of ways they they were in between where some of the folks would travel to go to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. And there's stories of Samaritans in the night. They They had torches that would light the way to Jerusalem as people traveled overnight. And the Samaritans would move the torches or would light other torches to get, the, to get the Jews to go the wrong way and not be able to get to Jerusalem. So you can see there's some real straight up hatred here. This isn't just like Kentucky and Louisville. This is straight up hatred that they have. So Jesus gives this picture of that person, that Samaritan, as the one who shows compassion. He says this, he says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the one who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So let's not breeze over this scandal of this moment, guys. Jesus is telling the people that kept the law the most, the most religious people in the day, that they should model their compassion and model their actions after the unclean, law-breaking Samaritan. That is scandalous. He's making the, the wrong person the hero of the story. He's making the person who should not be the hero of every story the hero of the story. I want you to consider this in this worldview. Like, where are you? Like, where are you 
right now, just, just internalize this right now. Where are you on the political spectrum? Where are you on the, the, the social spectrum? What do you believe about social issues? Did you, did you vote for Trump? Did you vote for Hillary? What are your views on things like guns and sexuality, immigration? Where are you in that? Have you, have you nailed down where you are? Now, now, once you know where you are on that, you kind of got, got, got that picture. Now, imagine Jesus came to you and said that the opposite of that the opposite person from you, the very other side of the spectrum. And he, Jesus came to you and says, listen, he's the hero of the story. And not only is he the hero of the story, I, I think you should go and be like him. Now you understand what people, when they heard this for the first time, probably felt. To hear, wait a minute. Those people? Those are the ones, like, you're, you're, you're telling me that's the hero? You need to feel that scandal when you read this. You need to feel the scandal of Jesus bringing an absolute disorientation of what it means to follow God and to love our neighbor. So remember, this, the question at the beginning was, who is my neighbor? And, and how do you answer that question? You and I, we have to answer that question. We have to answer the question for us personally, who is my neighbor? Is it simply someone that just looks like me and votes like me and believes all the same things that I do and, and, and has the same views on all of the hot, raging social issues that watches the same cable news network? Is it, is it just people like me? This story speaks in a very, very stark way into our hearts and gives us a pretty clear no. Tim Keller says it this way, we instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. We do it for people like us and for people whom we like. Jesus will have none of that. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, and religion, is your neighbor. Not everyone is your brother or sister in faith, but everyone is your neighbor, and you must love your neighbor. Whew. Everyone is your neighbor. Anyone who is in need is your neighbor. You will not look at another human being and not be able to say to them, to their face, that person is my neighbor. Now that's simple, but it's not easy is it? It's simple to understand. It's incredibly hard to practice. And this is my fear. I just want to be straight with y'all for a minute. Like my fear on messages like this, especially, is that we will get, we have a very socially active church. And so we, we love getting out. We love serving and things like that. And we love getting out and doing stuff. And so my fear is, is when we talk about these things, we, we get real excited and say, yeah, like, it's not just people like us. We want to love people who other people don't love. And we want to get out there. I agree. I love the idea of loving our neighbor and going out and doing that. And we post Facebook posts about it. And we get rah-rah and excited. And then nothing actually happens. Now, I'm not talking about events. Like, we serve and we do events together. But in me... In me and you, nothing actually changes. We have the right opinion about this, but nothing changes in us. 
Like nothing begins to shift in us. This is not a story that's supposed to guilt you into loving people. This is a story that's supposed to ask you, where is your heart? Not just your opinion. Where's your heart? Our world doesn't need Christians with better opinions. Now, there's a lot of Christians with bad opinions, yes. But our world needs a Christians with better love. We don't just need to have the right opinions about these issues and about how we should go out and love. We need to examine in our hearts what kind of love that we are offering the world around us. Are we more like the priest and the Levite in the story and are finding religious reasons to not show compassion, religious reasons to just walk along the way and think, you know what, I hope they get something. Or are we people that actually in our hearts begins to examine what it means for you and me to take those steps and begin to walk across the road? Begin to step down into the ditch. Begin to see the brokenness and not just see it from a distance, but to be able to step into the brokenness with that person in the ditch. It's one thing to think, yeah, we should have systems and places to take care of this person. It's another thing to say, I in the way that God has called me in my particular life, how am I supposed to step into the places of brokenness and love my neighbor right where I'm at? So, so in the East End neighborhood, here where we're at, but not only that, in your neighborhood, in, in your home, in the places that you work, in the places that you hang out, your schools, where your kids are, what does it look like to have the love of God in you cross the road, step into the brokenness of reality of people's lives, and love our neighbor as ourselves. 1 John 3.16 puts it this way, and it doesn't make it any more clear. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This series we're beginning is not a words and speech series. I hope you know that. We're not entering six weeks together where we get excited about having the right opinions about stuff together. This is a series that together as a community, we want to examine our hearts and see where we are. Listen, what 1 John here says is not, if you see people in need and you don't do that, well, you better start getting it together. It says you need to ask whether or not the love of God is actually in you. Like, have you received the love of God that you can now offer the world around you. Because we say this all the time around here. I can't offer the world anything that I'm not receiving myself. I can't offer my family. I can't offer my coworkers. I can't offer my neighborhood anything at all that I have not in and of myself received. So if I've not received the love of God from me, then I don't think I'm going to have anything to give. So where does that love come from? Where do we receive that? It's, it's here in this story, but you may not see it. You see, it's easy to ask, am I the priest or the Levite? Am I the person in the ditch? Am I the Samaritan who I am? Well, at heart, before you're any of those things, at heart, you were the person in the ditch. You were the person left for dead. 
And religion might have passed you by. I know for many of us in this room and the people that are part of our community, religion has definitely passed you by and has left you for dead. But there was another outcast. There was another man who the religious people did not like, who did not pass you by. His name was Jesus. And when everybody else walked by, he saw you in your brokenness, and he didn't just have an opinion about how to get you better. He did not just give you good advice while you were left for dead. Jesus stepped into your brokenness. He stepped into your pain. He stepped into the wounds of your life, and he bore the cost to bring you back to life. He gave you the healing that you were called to live into. Jesus gave you that love. Whenever you need to ask, do I have love for my neighbor? Where do I get that? It comes from the reality that while I was still a sinner, Jesus died for me. While I was at my worst, God looked at me and said, you are loved and you are accepted right where you are. As you receive that love, as you begin the process of walking in that love, I promise you as a community, as individuals, that love will come naturally out of us. It will flow out of us as we learn to receive the love of God for us. So today, it's not about guilt about what we have to do. Today is really just about in our hearts, have we received what we want to give? Have we taken it in for ourselves? So we're going to have a time of response here in a minute. And, and what I'd like to encourage us to do is just to examine your hearts. We do this not as a, as a place where um, we just sit and we just kind of take in, but, but we feel like when the Lord speaks that he, He's calling all of us, wherever we're at on our journey, just to respond, wherever that may be. For, so for, for some of you today, maybe it's taking that step of faith in Jesus for the first time. Maybe religion has passed you by and you thought that was Jesus, but I'm here to tell you that's not Him. Because the Jesus that we see in the scriptures is getting down with you right in the middle of your mess and picking you up and bringing you back to life. If you've never met that Jesus, I want to talk to you about that. I want to pray with you about that. Today's the day. I want you to to grab your card around you and say, "I, I want to begin a journey with Jesus or I want to get baptized. And let's talk about what that looks like. That's not just some moment and everything changes. That's a beginning of a journey that we're called to walk together. So I want you to do that. Take that step. For maybe some of us today, we need to examine why we're not loving more. It's probably because we're not receiving. We're trying to give something we've never really received and full. We're feeling empty. And so today we just need to say, God, come and fill me up. Come and fill me up for where I'm at in this moment, in this brokenness of my life. Come and fill me up. So take some time here. We're going to have somebody in the back to pray for you if you have anything in need. We're also going to have just encourage you to, to pray where you're at, just to do business with God as we sing this song. There's going to be words on the screen too that you can sing with us and worship that way. And also communion. We take a piece of the bread representing Jesus's body. We dip it into the juice which represents Jesus' blood. And it's an opportunity for us to remember that he did come and die to pay the price to bring us healing and bring us back to life. So pray with me here. Jesus, we come to you in response to your word and to this story. Father, our heart today is not to put guilt or shame upon us, that's not you. If we're feeling guilt or that we're feeling shame, that's not you, Father. But, but for some of us today, maybe you're bringing a conviction. Maybe you're bringing that little tap on the shoulder that says, you're trying to do this on empty. You're trying to offer your family and the world around you something that you've, 
either, either never received yourself or, or something that you haven't been filled up with in a long time. And so today, Jesus, we come and we pray that, Lord, fill us up with your love. Help us to remember that we were the one in the ditch, but you did not pass us by. You stepped down into our brokenness. You brought us back to life. Holy Spirit, today, give us a supernatural sense of that love. Help us to see it, to feel it, to experience it today for us right where we're at, right in the middle of our journey. Lord, we love you, and we thank you that in this time, that you're always faithful to us. So as we respond to you, help us to have ears to hear, to listen to what you're saying, to trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name.